Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Live on Fireside. Hello and welcome to Guilty Greeny live here on Fireside from the Climate Collab Auditorium. We are your imperfect host. I'm Kate Bagby. And I'm Sarah Ferris. Personally, I feel that if I'm not sipping on my homebrew kombucha out of a schlurple, I'm pooping all over this glorious planet. So let's get real for a minute and focus on what we can achieve because no matter how cute and catchy the name you give a reusable straw is, and let's be honest, buy a slurp or save a turtle is a great name. I'm not going to remember to bring it every time I need a straw. And as for kombucha, fermented toilet water, it's just not my thing. Join us as we bear all. We'll share our own guilt, share our own journeys and just add some levity in our attempts and fails to be more eco-friendly, but in the real world. Right, Kate? That's right, but we are going to have to disagree on kombucha. It is a favorite of mine. (laughs) Today, we are getting wasted. We are talking all about food loss and waste and how it is actually one of the biggest contributors to climate change. Well, I've got a confession to make straight up because food waste, it's a complete blind spot of mine. My baseline is probably washing out containers. I know I should be composting, but I need some kind of motivation. So I need you to tell me why I should be doing it because it seems like such a faff and Mm. it's on my bottom of my can I be asked list. I'm not going to lie. I think it is for a lot of people. I, I don't really think food waste is something that's top of mind, except maybe those days you clean out your fridge or... And there's some very interesting sociological studies, psychological studies that we can get into a little bit later about how we think about food waste. Really fascinating. But let's put it in the context of climate change to start. How's that? 
Yep, like that. All right. So annually, global food loss and waste, and those are two different things, and we can talk about that too. But globally, loss and waste is the world's third largest emitter of carbon dioxide. To put that into context, food waste is third only to the total greenhouse gas emissions of the United States and China. Okay. So that's big. If it was a country, it would be the third largest. Wow. Yeah. What is the effect of that on the world? What does that do? Didn't we do a show back to basics? Sarah, were you not paying attention about (laughs) climate change? (laughs) Call me out. No, I just think it's important to sometimes link it back to something really tangible. Right. So essentially, it's leading to rising temperatures, rising sea levels, which inevitably and... uh, Slightly, I guess, ironically, is going to lead to food shortages. Essentially a global shitstorm. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's the polite way of putting it, I think. Mm-hmm. If we want to talk about impact, well, let's break it down by countries and regions and overall, because maybe that'll help provide some context to it. Okay. Let's start big. We'll work our way down. Globally, around 923 million tons of food are lost or wasted. So to give a visual for that. That's enough to fill 23 million 40-ton trucks, or we would call them semi-trucks or 18-wheelers. So 23 million 40-ton trucks, and that's enough to circle the earth seven times bumper to bumper. Wow. Is that annually, did you say? Yes. All right. That is a lot. Yep. And that equates to about $1 trillion worth of food that's lost and wasted. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And there's people starving. Yeah, and we can talk about that too, about how just removing 15% from the lost and waste streams would actually feed, well, well, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Okay, so globally, 923 million tons of food. In the United States, it's about 30 to 40% of all food produced is wasted. And that works out to about 125 to 160 billion pounds every year, or about 20 pounds per person per month. That's insane, isn't it? Is the U.S. one of the worst countries or are there other countries that are worse? The U.S. is one of the worst. The U.K. is around 32% of all food is wasted. So it's right up there with with the United States. The difference is the scale in which food is produced. The United States Mm -hmm. is producing more food than the United Kingdom. So if it's 32% across the board for the U.K. and United States, it would still be more food lost or wasted in in the United States. Are there any countries that are doing it right? It's a difference in terms of where it's going to waste. In higher income countries, food is most often wasted at the retailer or consumer level. So think at the store, a restaurant, or in your kitchen. In lower income countries, food waste primarily happens closer to the fields, closer to the actual production of food. And that is a lot in part to poor storage, poor transportation, as well as being at the mercy of weather. To kind of clarify that question a little bit more too, North America, Europe, and Asia collectively waste roughly around 222 million tons of food each year. Okay, so that's collectively. Countries in sub-Saharan Africa produce 230 million tons per year. So Mm. North America, Europe, and Asia is wasting more food or round about the same amount of food as is being produced in Sub-Saharan Africa. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. Is that food that's being produced in North America, Europe, 
in Asia? Or is it food that's then coming from other countries into those countries and then they're wasting it there on top of it? Because we have a lot of imported foods from North Africa and the UK, for example. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And I don't know the answer to that. I would imagine when looking at food waste statistics, um, especially when you're talking about food waste, which is at the consumer level. So actually, let's just clarify this right now. Food waste is uh, consumer level shops, grocery stores, restaurants, what happens in your kitchen. Food waste is part of food loss. Food loss is the bigger picture looking at everything from what is not harvested in the field to what is lost in transportation, uh, to over orders, things like that. So it's looking closer to the production side, whereas food waste, which is part of food loss, is just that small end segment looking at the consumer level. So food waste is something that you and I can have some power over, but food yeah. loss, not so much. Well, I would actually argue we can have an impact on food loss. And I, I do have a couple recommendations at the end for how we can help cut down on food loss and food waste. I think from now on out, we'll just call it food waste, just so I'm not saying loss and waste constantly. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a really good question. I'm led to believe that based on all of my research, when we're talking about food waste, we're talking about both domestically produced or it is imported. So both of those things, doesn't matter where it's come from, at the end, it's getting wasted. What doubles down on the horror of the fact that all of that waste from the food is that it's probably been transported to get there and then wasted, which is quite horrifying on top of it. Yeah. And a lot of food loss happens during transportation. And that can happen due to poor packaging, poor refrigeration, over orders, uh, again, inclement weather if trucks can't get places on time or however the food is transported. And then there was a couple studies and surveys that were done that looked at the grocery store level to find that food was often tossed two weeks before the use-by date. So again, if there's delays in in transportation and that food gets there and let's say it's a week or two weeks within the use-by date, it's going to go straight to the bin for the most part. Wow. See, I was under the impression that lots of supermarkets and grocery stores were now changing that. And I don't know if you've got them in the the US. I'm sure you do, but we've got apps and Shops will put up their maybe their loaves of bread that are at the end of the day and they'll just give them away for free. They're trying to make sure that all of that sort of waste food is then passed on to the community for free and it's not going into dumpsters. Is that happening in the US as well? We're seeing more of it happening. I know there has been a lot of new legislation that has been introduced in different parts of the world to help cut down on on food waste and essentially telling restaurants and stuff they can't do what they're doing and that food needs to go to the community. Looking at it from a, actually from a food perspective, fruits and vegetables, it's roughly 40 to 50 percent of fruits and vegetables are lost or wasted. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked how I went apple picking. Did yeah. You talk about this? Yeah. Yeah, you did. I, one thing that annoys me every year, so I live in one of the capitals of apple production, which is great because fall activities, you get to get out there, you get to pick your apples. Super fun. Wholesome. So oh. wholesome, Kate. It's on the New England fall checklist. I feel like it's mandatory if you live here. <laughs> love that. But I'm always appalled at the number of apples on the ground. And yeah, you could say, oh, well, a lot of them have fallen. And some orchards will actually take those apples, gather them up, and they use them in cider production, which is pretty cool. Mm. Some don't. But I'm always struck 
by the amount of times people pick an apple off the tree, take a bite out of it, and then just throw it on the ground. Or they just let their kids two-handed just ripping the apples down and then throwing them on the ground. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like just don't, please don't do that. Eat the entire apple. So fruits and vegetables, 40 to 50% go to loss or waste. There was a study, a few studies actually, that looked at European trawlers in the North Sea. And they found that 40 to 60% of fish caught were discarded at the sea level. Wow. And we're not talking like catch and release. This was fish that was brought on that died. Well, so hold on. What? They're just, they're catching the fish, but they're not fresh enough to actually use. Is that what you're saying? And they just throw them back in the ocean or what do they do with them? Yeah, they throw them back in the ocean. I don't think freshness plays into it. It could be that it's the wrong type of fish, right? Because if we're trawling, you're catching whatever you're catching. Yeah, true. And unfortunately, they're just dumped back in, but 40 to 60%. That's but okay. Even, okay. That's, but let's think about that for a second. Like in terms of food waste, so you've got dead fish, it's going back into the ocean. It's probably then being eaten by other creatures in the ocean. Am I being naive? Is no. that not like a food chain? No, that is a food chain. Uh, the problem there becomes overproduction, right? You're wiping mm. out, that's a whole different topic, but you're wiping yeah. out species. And in the wild, a fish isn't eating. Well, actually, I don't know how much certain species eat, but let's say they're not eating (laughs) 10 fish at a time. You know what I mean? If you're just getting dump loads of fish off of a single boat, yeah, they're going to eat it, but that's not how how things naturally work. Yeah, true. I mean, it's not great. I'm just saying in terms of the gases that are then produced by that, it's going to be surely less than the actual fruit and vegetable wastage. What about meats? Meat actually has the highest carbon footprint. Feeling very good about being vegetarian right now, I can tell you. Mm. And we should clarify on that too. When we're talking about food waste, we're not talking about food that's being composted. We're talking about food that's ending up in landfills, which are anaerobic. And unfortunately, in anaerobic settings, there is a massive methane um, release from the breakdown of food. And methane is 26 more times potent than carbon dioxide in terms of greenhouse gases. Okay. They just got sciencey, like really sciencey. Tell me about about anaerobic. What do you mean in terms of food waste with that? Okay. We're talking about food waste that goes to landfills. Landfills, for the most part, or municipal solid waste facilities, are anaerobic, which means there is not the introduction of oxygen. So a lot of the stuff is just piled up on top of each other. It sits there. It just sits there and very, very slowly decomposes. Mm. What ends up happening is it releases these really, really powerful greenhouse gases such as methane in really high numbers because Mm -hmm. there's no oxygen and there's no natural process happening. And in 2018, food waste accounted for 21.6 of all municipal solid waste. That's a fair chunk. Am I right in taking this leap then? If it's just sitting there in landfill, the better thing to do is to then have composting and the worms aerating it. Oh, 100%. 100%. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. I didn't make the connection between it just sitting in a pile and then the worms introducing oxygen to it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just more. I mean, there are different systems. They're called aerobic uh, waste or aerobic composting. They'll actually put pipes underneath it. So there's, I feel like we could do a whole composting show, but very simply, you need oxygen. And if you're a home composter, you can do that through introducing oxygen by turning piles over, which is what we do on our farm. People will put pipes underneath to introduce the oxygen, but it also needs heat and it needs the microbes, the worms, the, you know, 
to to mm-hmm. make everything work together. But if you're throwing food in with mattresses, in with television sets, in with clothing, that's yeah, not a healthy yeah. environment. Got it. Okay. So always compost food. I needed to hear that today because that's where I've been lazy. Do you have a compost bin? We've got a system here where you've got your normal recycling bins and then you've got your wheelie bin with all your household waste. But there's also a little green bin that you can put your vegetable and food waste in it. But it's one of those like step too far things. And I've done it before and then the foxes got in and strewn it all over the neighborhood. And I was kind of like, I'm going to leave that for another day. So you've given me the incentive to go and get that out and actually put that back into practice in the house. Do you want a little tip on that one? Please. What we do is we actually keep our compost in the freezer until we're ready to take it out. And it will cut down on the smell, which if you live in a city can attract a lot of animals. So I would say freeze it and then add it. But it's weekly, right? How hard can it be to just put it aside, keep it there for a week? I can do that. I think I can do this. Oh, good. So you're already on your challenge for the week. (gasps) Have That is your challenge for the week was to compost all your food scraps. Really? Well, I've peaked too early. I know. Well, you might have to come out with another one. Don't worry. I've got them in spades. We're good. (laughs) We know a lot of food is wasted. Reasons for food waste, start to finish in the supply chain, bad weather, processing, overproduction, overbuying, poor planning, label confusion. I am so guilty of that. Of overbuying or labels? All of that. Just put my name beside all of those things. In fact, I just went to the supermarket today and I have become more conscious now of what I'm purchasing and what the packaging it's in and all that kind of thing. But I find the whole time-consuming nature of thinking of planning out meals. Honestly, I'm right there with you. I cannot be bothered to meal plan like at all. I've tried it. It is just not for me. And I find that when I do actually meal plan, I end up wasting more food because I'll get to the end of the day and I'm like, I don't want to make that. Like I was super ambitious this weekend, but I don't want to make that. (laughs) Yeah. Your 16 item Heston Blumenthal sauce that goes with the 52 (laughs) item Gordon Ramsay number on the side. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I found food prepping works a lot better than meal planning. So if I have a lot of ingredients and I'm just in the mood to cook or well, I guess this is going to come up in wins for later. When it's the end of our harvest season and I have 50 butternut squash sitting on my table, I will just spend the day peeling, cooking, chunking, freezing, and I create all these different raw ingredients for the most part, put them in the freezer, and then I can just pull things out as I want them. So if I want butternut squash, I can either pull out soup or I could pull out cubed and then I can saute it or I can roast it or I can do whatever I want with it, but everything is ready to go. I love that. You must have a massive freezer. Do you have like multiple freezers going on in the house? Yes. I think that's the key if you're going to do food prep though. You don't want it to be going down to the bottom of the chest freezer and never be seen again. Right. What I found has been really successful because my mother has one is she puts on the inside lid a list of everything that's in the freezer and when it went in the freezer. Wow, she's next level. Mine would be just a place where things go to die. Well, the good news is as long as you're checking it like twice a year, you'd be fine because food will keep for a very, very long time in a freezer. Oh, yeah. The best buy and safety dates is another thing that leads to food waste. Yeah. There's one of them that you can fudge and just sort of push out a bit longer, right? And it's not going to kill you. Is it the use-by date that you've got to stick to with food? Yes. Food safety recommendation, use-by date 
There are some exceptions. I'm not going to go into them. I would definitely talk with a food safety expert on that. The other one, Best Buy, is what people confuse it with. So Best Mm. Buy is like buying a bag of bread or a jar of salsa and it says Best Buy next Sunday. You can eat it well after that date. It just might not be as fresh. Yeah. I take the best buy with a grain of salt. Hey, I've got a question for you. This is one thing that my kids always say that we do that is weird in in England as New Zealanders. Their UK counterparts don't do this in their household. And that's we always freeze bread. Do you freeze bread? Because I'm gluten-free, my bread comes frozen. That doesn't count. Is it a normal thing? No, it's not. No, not at all. Most people have bread boxes of some kind. Like they'll put them on the counter or they just keep them in the shelf. Because we buy our bread frozen, we then put it in the fridge where it de-thaws. And then I always put mine in the toaster because gluten-free bread is, you have to warm it up. Well, yeah, it's not. (laughs) Is it that? Yeah, It's not my favorite. I'll Mm. say that. Uh, But definitely warm it up. There's a little tip and trick for anybody who is uh, gluten-free. Warm it up before you eat it. Okay. So I didn't realize that the whole bread freezing thing was just a little Kiwi anomaly. We're sidetracking, but I'm interested in this. So you take it from the freezer and then what do you do? Like pop it in the toaster? No, 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 no. It's when you've got excess bread, for example. So I've just been to the supermarket and I've bought a couple of loaves of bread and I've put the ones that we're not currently using in the freezer. And then when we need bread, we take them out and they defrost and they're exactly the same as they would have been beforehand. Yeah. I've always done that growing up, to be fair. Okay, good. That also came from my family. We grew up prepping food. If we had extra food, I'm not talking like preppers or anything like that, but if we had apples at the end of the season, and I just did this this weekend, I made applesauce and apple turnovers and apple pies and just used up all the apples before they went bad. You can freeze all of that stuff. So if I made like an apple bread or zucchini bread, which is like more of a dessert type thing, you can put those in the freezer and then all year long take them out just like you would a loaf of bread. You make me laugh so hard. You are like the Waltons. I've just got my apple pie and my apple turnover. <laughs> I'm just making applesauce. Oh, That's there's what... a big debate on apple pie. Do you put cheese on it? Do you put lemon in it? Do you... What? I'll back that train right up. Did you just say <laughs> cheese with apple? Yes. I believe it's a Midwestern thing and I think you put I think it's like yellow cheese. I don't honestly know. I've never made it. Um, Are you talking like cheddar cheese? I mean, if you're talking like cream cheese, yeah, I could no, get no, that. No, no, no. No. Like <laughs> just a whack of gouda in there. <laughs> no, oh, I, think it's like ch- I think it's like cheddar cheese. But have you never had sliced apple with a good piece of cheese and a little honey drizzled on it? Mm, no? Look, I can see the appeal in that, but I can't see it as a pie. That's too far because I don't know yeah. what I'm eating. Am I eating like a savory? Am I eating a sweet? I don't want to be that confused. It's cheddar cheese. That's what people use. There's your challenge for the week. Make an apple (laughs) cheddar cheese pie. I've got a lovely block of blue in the fridge. Maybe I'll whack that in there. (laughs) Oh, gosh. No one should have that in their fridge. That's disgusting. So we're differing here. Kombucha and uh, blue cheese and diverging as well. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So let's touch on this, which is because you brought this up earlier, food insecurity. We know United States, 30 to 40% of food is lost or wasted. In 2020, and this is for the United States, I do not have a global number, roughly 10.5% or 13.8 million households in the United States were food insecure. What does that mean? That means that they, at one time or another during 2020, did not know or were unsure of where their next meal would be coming from. So that's considered food insecure. 
Right. Okay. That's a big number, 13.8 million. Yes. And that number was actually going down for a little bit and then went up a a little bit during COVID Mm. because people were out of work and because children were in school. So children weren't sure where their meals were coming from, families who relied on that. Mm. Some studies found that by reducing food waste, this is going to be a very simple sounding statement. And then I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. If we reduced food waste by 15%, that could provide enough food for more than 25 million people annually in the United States. Wow. That is problem solved, right? Well, it's more than – it's almost double. Mm -hmm. The UN Food and Agricultural Organization, FAO, they found that by seriously curbing or completely reversing food waste, there'd be more than enough food to feed 2 billion people. And that's more than twice the number of malnourished people in the world. Oh, my goodness. There's a solution right in front of us, isn't there? This is why I wanted to back that up because it sounds like a really simple thing. Like if we just don't throw out food, we can feed the world. But it doesn't work like that because food loss and waste is so distributed throughout the supply chain. So it's everything from produce that's not being picked because of labor shortages or bad weather or Mm -hmm. pests to – Transportation and packaging, like if things are bruised or damaged or to now we're getting into shops and restaurants, if things are being sold, if you're not eating what's on your plate at a restaurant, when you bring it home and put it in your refrigerator and either forget about it or don't use all of it. So there's no single point. No, but there's definitely something that you and I can do. From the consumer's perspective, I don't know if you know the answer to this and I'm just putting you on the spot. But is there a percentage of the food waste of overall that comes from that end consumer that we can actually do something about? Yes. The USDA Economic Research Service, that's a mouthful, they estimated that around 31% of loss occurs at the retailer and consumer level. 31%, that's huge. Right. And then the UN went on to say that around 60% of that waste is in the home. So I'm not entirely sure if that meant that 60% of that 31% happens in the home versus a retailer or 60% of food waste. For anybody who's new to the show, Sarah and I don't generally do math. We don't do math. We're bad at it. But either way, that's a large amount. I'm not hearing percentages when you say that. I'm hearing hope that I've got some actionable plan that I can put into place to make a difference. That's what I'm hearing. It wouldn't be the guilty greenie if we didn't have some takeaways. (laughs) Wouldn't All right. So yeah, takeaways. There's actually a lot of them. You and I touched on composting. So if you're going to not be eating food, mm-hmm. compost what you can. Not all food is compostable. We'll do a show on composting. We'll break that down. First and foremost, don't overbuy. I know in the United mm-hmm. States, is it like this in the UK as well? We have bulk stores everywhere. Yes. Well, we've got Costco, which I think is one of yours, isn't it? Yes. Costco, I thought was the most amazing thing when I first moved to the UK. But that half it gets wasted because you cannot consume that much mustard in a year, no matter how many people you are serving. I don't go there anymore for that reason. And again, when we give these suggestions, obviously this doesn't apply to everybody. If you're someone who buys in bulk and you sit there and you prep all your food and freeze it and you have your checklist and that's how you consume your food, then it doesn't apply to you. But if you're sitting there going, "Mm, yeah, I do buy a package of 40 apples and really 30 of them are going in the bin at the end of the month, this applies to you. So (laughs) don't buy. It applies to me then. Yeah. (laughs) 
So I would say if you don't need to and it doesn't serve you, obviously don't buy in bulk. In homes, and remember earlier on I said there were some interesting studies about food waste in the home. There was two really interesting things that came out of it. One was there's a psychological component to food waste. And this example was given. Let's say you buy a carton of eggs. And as you are going to put them in the fridge, as us Americans do, I know, in the UK. Mm -hmm. We do, we do. You do do. put them in the fridge. I do. Do you? Aren't they sold on the shelf though? They are sold on the shelf. So I probably don't need to put them in, but they've got like a little handy egg holder in my fridge. So it's begging to go in there. I want to know who was the lobbyist who got that included in fridges because I find that just very fascinating that eggs have their own section, like designated. Yeah, Mm. designated section. All right. So the study went, you take your eggs, you're either going to put them on the fridge or in the fridge or on the counter and you drop the carton and they break. People were really upset by this. They were upset that they just bought their eggs, they broke them, they didn't get to enjoy them. Mm -hmm. Now- If those eggs sat in your fridge for a month or two and you threw them in the bin because they're not edible anymore, people were less likely to be upset. There's a novelty aspect to buying food. It's new. It's exciting. All the things I can do with it and make. Is it also that you've just freshly parted with that money? I don't. Yeah, I would imagine that's part of it. Mm. Yeah. But people generally feel, I'm not going to say better, they feel less worse than if they just brought it home and immediately put it in the bin. It's a very interesting way to look at it, isn't it? I will definitely be reconnecting in my brain those two things. The other study that was interesting was what they call negative or white space in a fridge. Since the 1960s and 70s, both plates and fridges have gotten bigger. And what they found is people do not like to look at what they call white spaces in fridge. They want their fridges to be full. They want it to be a bounty of food. And if there's space in your fridge, there's something in you that just says like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough. I'm going to guess it's more of a primal need, but I don't really know. But obviously packing your fridge full of food you can't possibly eat or will not eat, it just Mm. leads to more food waste. So this is where looking at all those really pretty pictures of super organized food in a fridge that is not filled to the brim comes Mm. in handy. I just cleaned my fridge out this weekend looking at the use-by dates. I have to say, I was enjoying my white space. It was just so nice. And when I bought my groceries today, everything had a place and I could see it. It was so much more organized. I could see what meals would work together. There was a joy in my fridge because it was full of white space for a while, but I've just rammed it full of food again. So guilty. Am I the only one? Like in my fridge, everything has a place. Upper right-hand corners where drinks go, leftovers go, second shelf down on the left. For me, it's super organized so that I don't waste food. And then my husband comes along like a tornado and just Mm -hmm. moves things around. Oh, yeah. I would love to live like that. But I have four people in my house that decide to just play Where's Wally with the eggs. (laughs) Or they open the fridge door and just go, where's the, where's the, where's the? I'm like, sixth shelf from the left, two degrees to the right. How do I know? You've thrown it in the back somewhere. We've digressed. So white space is good. I agree with you, Sarah. I actually prefer my fridge to have more negative space in it. It just feels calmer. Uh, Smaller plates portions. So plate sizes have gone up. I believe it's 36% since the late 1960s, early 1970s. As our plates get bigger, we think we have to fill them and then our eyes are bigger than our stomachs, so we don't end up Mm. eating all of it. You can always go back for seconds most of the time. But psychologically, I don't think you do, which is the beauty of a smaller plate. That's a good point. What else? 
Oh, a lot of grocery stores in the United States, and I'm curious if they have this in the UK, they have like a sales rack. It tends to be in the bakery section most of the time, but there's like a little rack of food that's like going to expire Mm -hmm, or -hmm. should be used by the next few days. So they'll mark it down. And a lot of people skip over that. Or it's like an apple that has a bruise on it or something. Yeah. No, we definitely have that. But the thing with that section is I'll end up with something I never knew that I wanted. doesn't mean I don't eat it. But. I was going to say, do you eat it? Yeah. Of course okay. I do. Of course I do. I actually feel like that's a good way to t- try out new food though. All right. So sales rack, always good. Uh, buying locally, right? We talked about this with the apples. If you can buy locally from a sustainable farm, obviously not everybody has access to that. But if you do, you help cut down on food waste in terms of transport loss. And then if you're eating at a restaurant, get yeah. your takeout. You know? Yeah, that's something that we've started doing, but it's not something that feels very natural. Is that quite normal in, in the US to do that? It's super normal. And I think yeah. part of the reason it is, is because portion sizes in the United States are meant for like two or three people. <laughs> two or 300 people. It's insane, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. That is one thing that is shocking whenever I've been in America. The portion will come out and I'm like going, wow, is this a buffet for other people to come to my table and eat off my plate? This is insanely large. Yeah. Takeout in the United States is super big. I know in some countries in Europe, people are really embarrassed by it. You do not ask for a to-go container. Yeah. Unless it's like a takeaway place, it wouldn't be something that I would be brave enough to ask for. If anybody owns or works in a restaurant is listening, by cutting down portion sizes, you cut down on food waste, which actually saves you money in the restaurant industry from having to buy more food. And I was going to say, there's two apps that we use, and I mentioned one of them before, which is Too Good To Go. Go on there and get end of day sushi from your local sushi place or bread from your local bread place. And there's another one called Olio. Have you got that over there? Yeah, Olio's in 31 or 32 countries, I think. Okay, but it does help with the redistribution of food that might be going to waste. Or even not just food, am I right? Uh, yeah, I believe Oleo is also like furniture and clothing. Yeah. I th- There's a couple more. There's Food for All in the United States. It's very much like Too Good to Go. There's Flash Food. And then there's Food Rescue, which will help give excess food to those in need. So we were talking about how in the United States, 13.8 million households are food insecure. Uh, that was 2020 mm. numbers. Food Rescue US will help get the food from restaurants to shelters or to organizations that help distribute it for social services or for social agencies. Oh, I love that. And all these you can volunteer. A lot of these are run and volunteer organizations. So they need people to help pick up the food, deliver the food. So if you're interested in that or ask your supermarket what they're doing with their leftover food and if they don't know, direct them to this app. You don't have to deliver things to be an activist. You can literally just push your supermarket to get involved. That's activism. Morbidology. If you're loving all this free content and thinking, how can I support the podcast? Well, one way is to support our sponsors like this one. I don't know about you, but I love smoothies, but I don't love smoothie bar prices. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or my favorite, even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. The battery lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cable. Best of all, 
Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. It has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, which makes them an awesome present. Go to blendjet2.com and grab yours today and be sure to use the promo code FERRIS12 to get 12% off and free two-day shipping. That's FERRIS, as in my last name, F for frog, E-R-R-I-S for sugar, 12. Whatever way you remember it, Ferris 12 into the website. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Plus, as a bonus, it's a great way to support the podcast. And if you can't remember Ferris 12, go to the show notes and click the link. It's a weekly true crime podcast hosted by me, Emily G. Thompson, author of Unsolved Child Murders, Unsolved Murders, Cults Uncovered, and Mysteries Uncovered. 911 emergency. My son shot my husband. I need an ambulance. He's bleeding. Each week on Morbidology, I uncover a new true crime case using investigative research combined with source audio. I just snatched it from her. My son took it and it's like, I just hit her with it. Morbidology is a victim-focused podcast that mostly covers cases that aren't widely documented in mainstream media. I also like to take an in-depth look at any systemic failures which had a part to play in the crime. Do you know why you're here? For a uh, home invasion gone terribly wrong. Listen to Morbidology across all podcast platforms. I feel like we've covered a lot on food waste and in that kind of same vein... Let's talk about the highs and lows of our week. Okay. This week, none of my guilty high points or low points are laundry related. You'll be very pleased to hear. My high point for the week was that I recycled my coffee machine. It wasn't functioning quite right. Normally, I would have been like, dump it, it's dead. But we put it on our street WhatsApp chat and said, is there anyone that would like this coffee machine? It needs a little TLC. And the next thing you know, it Somebody came and picked it up and was so happy with it that it got a new lease of life. And so we bought a new coffee machine because can't live without it. And I was really like torn between what kind of coffee machine do I get? Are the pods bad? But I asked the question when I purchased it. They said the pods for this coffee machine, they're aluminium and they are 100% recycled. And I said, but where are they recycled? Are they actually recycled? And where are they recycled? And they said they were recycled near Gatwick, which is a large airport in London. They've got a plant there. And I was like, well, that's good. That's not that far away. So it's not even a massive journey to get there. So I was asking those questions. But that makes me so happy because it really is like, what, a sentence or two to make a, to like bring it to someone's attention? Yeah. And to know that I care enough to ask the question. And I also like that because the more people who ask it, really simple questions like that, like, is this recyclable? gets them having to think about it. And Mm -hmm. the more people that ask, the more it indicates to a company, hey, people are interested in this. So let's figure it out. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, So that was my high. What was your high? My high was food prep. It's the end of pretty much the end of harvest season for us. So we were breaking down all of the squash, apples. Um, We also have chicken and all that kind of stuff. So making different broths, uh, gravies, things like that. Oh, it sounds like heaven in your house. It's a full day of cooking though. That's so satisfying. I like taste testing everything. Mm, mm -hmm, I hear you. (laughs) Yeah. So just making different soups and breads and pastries and cutting up and chunking all the squashes that we didn't break down or roast or anything and just prepping it all and, and freezing it so we can pull it out throughout the winter. 
Well done, you. Well done. Okay. What was your low point then? My low point was actually a little bit of a irritant. I'm like irritated with myself and also with this situation that happens. We had helped some people move and they wanted to get rid of a bunch of stuff. They rented a dumpster and I knew some of the stuff was like new or barely used and could be donated. And I was really torn between taking that stuff and putting it up for sale on Facebook Marketplace or bringing it to different organizations and having to explain to these individuals that, hey, this stuff is is good or kind of taking my time to actually work on projects I needed to do and just be hands off. And so my low is that I chose just not to get involved. But I feel really bad because I watched all this stuff go into a dumpster and I know it could be reused, but I just, I personally did not have the time. That was really tough. It's really interesting that your low is the same as pretty much my low. Is it? So yeah, last weekend we went to the dump and I felt so guilty because what I had to get rid of was my COVID lockdown 1.0 project, which was when I thought I was going to have a green thumb. Turns Mm. out they were just infected because I killed every plant that I touched. (laughs) And honestly, I bought a pop-up greenhouse to house these dying plants. I mean, they were the most expensive cucumbers that you've ever had. They were like 50 quid each by the time they were made. But over the winter, the greenhouse, I should have put it away, but it just kind of disintegrated. It was knocked around by bad weather and it broke Mm. and the poles came and I was like, oh God, it's just an eyesore. And I felt the same way as you did. So guilty that I was putting that into the landfill. I mean, we did separate it out. So it was kind of recyclable metal or what have you, but it still doesn't feel great. So my lesson is learned there. I have to say, I'm not going to be growing anything for a while. But that's exactly what the show is about. You and I, we are not perfect. And it's not okay, in my opinion, for people to get up and talk about the things everybody should be doing without also laying bare the difficulties of just operating in the society and economic model, which we operate under. We need to talk about those things and and make it very clear that no one is perfect and we can't judge others. Time is the equation as well in there, isn't it? It's like how much time have I got to do those jobs that actually add into what is already a busy life? Right, right, exactly. Like I just, I did not have a day to sit and sort through someone else's stuff, even though I knew better. I don't have that time. Guilty greenie. We're both guilty of not being perfect. Very guilty this week, I would say. But we're nailing the title. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Let's talk about your challenge. Was it a high or was it a low? And your challenge was a zero waste meal for the family. Mm. A zero waste meal for the family was it was it was an interesting one. There was definitely highs and lows. Maybe I'll just play you a little bit of audio. And what I want you to hear is just maybe some of the pain points along the way of trying to find a meal that everybody would like. And let's just see how it unfolds. This week's Guilty Greenie Challenge is that I've got to make a meal that has zero waste. Make it good then. Not that kind of zero waste. I mean, let's be honest, it's not going to be any waste with Josh around, but whatever you make, I've got to use the entire vegetable. 
Uh, what is enough? Kumara. Kumara that we had the other day. Yeah. Kumara curry or mushrooms? You can do mushrooms. Uh, I'm not eating mushrooms. I'm thinking a vegetable pie with like mash on the top. Sounds disgusting. It, it does look disgusting in the recipe, but I reckon I could pimp it up with some like spices and things. Yeah, so just make something nice like. <laughs> like what? You could use rice or pasta or something like that, right? Well, they come in plastic bags, so I'm trying to be can like. You might go to one of those bin places where you put it in your own container or whatever. Oh, like the refill larder. Yeah, it doesn't have to be gross and disgusting. Well, it might not be gross and disgusting. Well, the vegetable other... pie. I know. Well, the other option is I do roast vegetables with loads of flavour and then like vine tomatoes. It's not a meal though, it's a side. That's, I'm vegetarian, it's a full meal for me. Mm. Or cauliflower roast is the no, other one. No, cauliflower nothing. <laughs> Remove cauliflower from the equation. <laughs> It's supposed to be really good and I can use the whole thing. I could use it as like the centrepiece and then have like roasted no, tomatoes yeah, on the bottom. like the stalky bit. Let's go get some inspiration at the market and see what happens. Great. What are you doing? I'm trying cauliflower. I don't like cauliflower, <laughs> but I'll try it. Just you making me. One, two, three. Hmm. It's not too bad. Mm. It's edible. But I wouldn't choose to eat it. If there's nothing else to eat, I guess I could eat it. So many opinions for people not cooking. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I know. And I should preface it by saying kumara is what we call sweet potato in New Zealand. It's the Maori word for sweet potato. I was going to ask that. Okay. I knew you would be. It's up there with the hoo-hoo grub. <laughs> um, I did like the mushroom suggestion. That actually, yeah. that was a great one. Except... It would have been a great suggestion if it was just not me and Gareth eating the mushrooms because nobody else would have touched them. And I think the hilarious thing is that you could see cauliflower is something he cannot stand. He hates cauliflower. And then he ended up having to eat cauliflower. So Did he like it? Nope, not so much. <laughs> no. You made cauliflower, but what yeah. was in it? Walk me through this recipe. Okay, so I thought let's make a little Mexican fiesta. The thing that was fun about it was that we went to the market, which I normally would just go to the supermarket. We went to the actual outdoor market that's close to us. So we were buying locally, not packaged. So you're getting zero waste on the packaging side of things here, which is a win already. And it got us talking about what kind of meals to have. And then the cauliflower kind of became the hero of the meal. I had a guacamole on the side. And then I had a salsa that I'd made on the side. That was all pretty good. Oh, and then, so I had vine tomatoes with the little viney thing on it. And I thought, what am I going to do with that? So I put that into the Mexican rice that I made because I know that adds flavor. Mm -hmm. I squeezed the limes into the guacamole and then I put them into the rice to cook with it. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't wasting any of that. But here's my problem. This is where I fell down. I could have just done the the cauliflower and not the guacamole and then I would have been zero waste. But I really wanted that guacamole. And what that needed was red onion, which has the papery bit on the outside and the same with the garlic. Yeah. And then the avocado was the other issue. So the avocado skin, I couldn't get rid of. Now the pip, I did something quite special with. You'll be pleased I, did you, you know, plant it? I did. Yes. Yeah, it'll die. But that's not the point. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, right? Um, but yeah, so what are you supposed to do with the papery bit of onion and garlic? You can actually save those and reuse them in making stocks. You can put them in like a little cheesecloth type bag and put it in your water along with your different food scraps. You can put them in the little bag, some herbs, stems, whatever you got left, and create homemade vegetable stocks from them. Oh, well, that's, again, a time thing, isn't it? 
there's a picture of actually how much waste I did create. Because as we say, the guilty greenie and Gareth, my husband was like, well, you're going to have to lay it bare because that's why it's called the guilty greenie. You've got to be honest. Because I was thinking I could just hide those. But <laughs> I didn't. And, and they're there for all to see that I probably failed the challenge. I would say no, you got a really good meal out of it, which sounds super yummy. Mm. And part of the challenge isn't just whether or not it's successful. It's learning to understand why we do things and really questioning and challenging how we're doing things. And so a lot of it's introspective. I would say the fact that when buying a new coffee machine, you're like, is this recyclable? What's it made from? Shows the challenges are working because you're starting to think about things differently. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking when I was doing this challenge is thank God I'm vegetarian because I don't know how I would have got around a meat portion of it. To yeah, be zero weight. that would definitely be tricky. Although there are places where you can get meat wrapped in um, like Onion a wax skin. paper. Well, yeah, a wax paper. <laughs> okay, <laughs> But depending on where you live, that's few and far between. Not talking about the packaging, because that's a whole different subject. But food waste in general, you can plant the avocado seed. You can do other things with that too. You can actually use avocado seed to dye clothing, which is kind of cool. Um, that's never going to happen. You can use the skins. You can, you know, put them in your plants. Like you could literally take the skins and put them in your plants, which will help fertilize them. Oh, I should have done that. That would have been easy. That would have been an easy thing to do because I've burying the evidence. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. (laughs) I wouldn't have felt guilty at all. (laughs) I would say challenge well done. Thank you. So I can take it as a bit of a win then. Definitely. You want to challenge for next week? I feel like I already know it now. If it's the composting thing. Oh, no, it's to make apple pie with cheddar cheese. (laughs) (laughs) I I need to give you this as a challenge so that I know if it's safe to make or not. Imagining a recipe in my head already, caramelized onion chutney with apple sauce that becomes like a savory thing, maybe. But You're getting super fancy and I like it. Oh, yeah. I've got lots of unopened cookbooks in my house. Don't you worry. (laughs) (laughs) Your challenge for next week is composting anything that you can compost in your house, which isn't just um, food scraps. Okay. Part of me is like, oh, that's a real pain in my butt, but I'm going to do it. Okay. Pain is good sometimes. Sometimes. And you have the composting services, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Here's the follow-up then, because I know Mm -hmm. you've done composting before. Give them a call and ask them about their process and ask them how much food waste they get. Okay. Or any issues they have, like, are they getting things that aren't food waste? And what happens to the entire lot when that occurs? Oh, God, you're piling on the challenges. I'm, I'm making you put together the next episode. <laughs> God, I need answers from one. you. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's pretty much the episode for the week, is it? We've covered so much. It is. Do you want to introduce our next topic? Yes. Now, we briefly spoke about it before. I haven't come up with a catchy title, but um, I'm sure I will by then. So... I was driving past a cemetery the other day with my husband and I looked over and went, God, that seems like a waste of space. I wonder what the best way to die is, Uh, which was a really cheery thought. But I was kind of thinking I'd like to be balled up into the base of a tree, which I've seen those cocoons. So I want to ask Kate, what is the best way to basically well, die? Just to clarify, we're not going to actually be talking about how you should die or (laughs) if you should kill anyone. We'll be talking about funerals and burials. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most sustainable way to dispose of your body? I think this is a really fascinating topic because there's so many options that people don't know about. Yeah. I'm all in for this. I want to go out with a massive bang. I want to become the biggest tree in the world after I'm gone. 
Please do join us next week to see if Sarah accomplished her challenge. And for more, the good, the bad, and the laughable as we tackle our own sustainability journeys exclusively on Fireside in the Climate Collab Auditorium. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Guilty Greeny. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share, rate, and leave five-star review on Apple. It helps others find the podcast and get the climate conversation flowing. Guilty Greeny is an independently made podcast, so if you would like to support the podcast, please go to buymeacoffee.com backslash guilty greeny. The more support, the more content for your ears. Follow us on Instagram at Guilty Greeny and join us in tackling the Guilty Greeny challenges. Make sure to share your experiences, the good, the bad, and the laughable. We'd love to hear from you. And let us know what topics you want to know more about. Until then, stay curiously green. Bye-bye. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing. I'm Sarah Ferris. Join me and my co-host, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program, Catherine Schweit. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've watched the reality of poor planning. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I really sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Our hope is that together we can stop the cries of never again fading into until next time. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.